five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing on this Tuesday morning? Two days in a row. How are you doing? I'm just glad you, um, you 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 zoom in here to talk about Alabama football and spring practice and not some other subject. This is all I want to talk about right now. So I'm glad this is what we're going to talk about, Alabama football spring practice. I'm fired up and ready to learn from you. Hey, I'm ready to learn from you. And that's what I love about these conversations. And I hope our listeners get as much out of it as I know that I do. I feel like every time I, I hop off, you know, I, I go to stop recording and I feel like it was a great conversation. I feel smarter. I feel more <laughs> in the know. Um, it, it's just sometimes it's nice to get stuff thrown out there. You kind of go back and forth. You always make some fantastic points. So I hope that our listeners get as much out of this as we do. I appreciate that. But back at you, I'm, I, I learn I learn things all the time. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm just ready for man. Uh, there's scrimmage this weekend, and we'll learn some more stuff there. And then, of course, a day when we all get to see uh, this team hit the field, I'm I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I I think they're they're going to be good. They're going to be good. Now we know where the bar is set here, so uh, that that's ultimately the question, right? Uh, it's not will they win a bunch of games. I think we know that. I think the question is can can they win them all? And uh, that's what we're here to try to answer. Yeah. Yesterday we talked a lot about the defense. We talked a little bit about the quarterbacks. We talked about the running backs. But there's still, you know, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the offensive line. So I definitely wanted to kind of dive in a little bit and talk, you know, about those position groups because they're coming along nicely uh, as well. And we'll start with the wide receivers. You know, heard a lot of buzz about Malik Benson. That's not surprising at all. Nick Saban had some praise for him. Has talked a lot about Jermaine Burton needing to play with more consistency, which I have found very odd because – you know, he talked a lot about how Jermaine Burton was the most consistent receiver last year. You also got Ja'Cory Brooks, who's done some good things, especially in the red zone. They're missing some wide receivers, you know, from last year as far as size is concerned. Size is not something that's very prevalent in this wide receiver group. So having a guy like Ja'Cory Brooks, who's the biggest receiver on the roster at 6'2", 196, or 195, whatever it is now, that's big. But then you got the trio over of sophomores and Isaiah Bond and Kendrick Law and Kobe Prentice. A lot of wide receivers in this room, a lot of potential. What do you think about the group overall, and and what have you been hearing about how the group's been performing throughout spring? Yeah, I noticed uh, yesterday you liked uh, on the board, on the Talk of Champions message board, uh, I, said, I said something and and that you agreed with, and uh, sort of be the theme of my answer here is that I, I think last summer, people, you know, our fans that listen to the show, uh, you know, we talked about the wide receiver group last year and thought – you know, hey, we lost Mechie and JMO, but it's still going to be pretty good. We're bringing in a Jermaine Burton, uh, who's going to be like a Mechie, and Jacory Brooks will be one year better. Uh, and 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 we got all these freshmen coming in that sort of have the same level of height as the Smitty Judy, you know, Rugs group. Uh, and, and we think that wide receiver, while it certainly looks like a question mark, is going to be fine. Well, it really wasn't fine. It, it wasn't terrible. I think people way over-exaggerate when they talk about how bad it was. Uh, th that's not true, but it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. It certainly wasn't as good as previous Alabama groups because 
for a few reasons, not to pick on kids specifically, but Jermaine Burton wasn't John Mechie. He, he wasn't that good. Uh, we, we thought he might be, he wasn't. He wasn't that good. Ja'Cory Brooks was fine, but he wasn't one of the league's best receivers by any means. He, he was fine. He's fine. He wasn't a number one guy, you know, and Burton wasn't a number one guy. And the freshmen, you know what? They were freshmen. They were freshmen. They, they, they flashed. They, 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 they did some good things, and they showed a lot of potential. Here's one stunning stat, though, when I say, ah, oh, they were freshmen. And I, and I know our fans are like, yeah, but they weren't Smitty and Ruggs and Judy. Well, here's what they did, though. They caught more balls than they did. I mean, Jerry Judy caught 17 balls as a freshman. Devontae Smith caught six. Kobe Prentice caught 31. I mean, I mean, you know, so the people that are like super down on last year's receivers and are terrible and all this. That's leading up to my point about this year's group. This year's group's underrated. We, we, we did overrate last year's group going into the season. This year, it's underrated. And this is why. Mostly the arrival of Malik Benson. And, and I don't want to fall into the trap of, hey, the best player is the one we haven't seen. I prefer going off real evidence. But we do have evidence that Malik Benson is good. We heard buzz going all the way back to the bowl practices. I've heard sources extremely close to the situation rave about Benson. Benson was a standout in the very first scrimmage per Nick Saban, who is, by the way, a really good source as to what's going on. And Saban doesn't rave much. I thought he was borderline raving about Benson and that receiver group. And I think by Malik Benson, a legitimate number one type showing up, a guy that's got maybe first round ability, not projecting him first round, not yet, but I'm just saying he's got that sort of ability because he's got the length and the size and the arms and the speed and the burst. We all know that stuff. Again, it's evidence. It's not wish casting. But if Benson can be a number one, all of a sudden, I like Burton and Brooks a lot more. I like both of those kids more. Uh, and by that, I mean, they don't have to be wide receiver one. We don't have to have Jermaine Burton be a carbon copy of John Mechie. We don't need Ja'Cory Brooks to develop into an NFL first rounder. We just need them to be great supporting guys to the Malik Benson show. And then what truly makes the group exciting is the sophomore trio. Coach Bryant used to say the best thing about freshmen, they turn into sophomores. They know what to do now. They know how to play. They know how to run routes. They know our scheme. They've been working with our quarterbacks for over a year. They'll be much better than they were a year ago, and they're already pretty good. Like I said, Prentice caught 31 balls. Kendrick Law may have been the best blocker we had at wide receiver at the end of last season, and we all know that Isaiah Bond is probably the fastest player on the whole football team, and now he's a year better. So, I'm not saying this is an all-time group. I'm not comparing them to the, the the Smitty group, you know, when he won the Heisman. I'm not. I'm just saying everybody that thinks we're in for another year of terrible wide receiver play, you're wrong. This, this is a really good group. I think it'll be one of the best wide receiver cores in the whole SEC. I think it'll challenge maybe to be the best or at least the deepest with those uh, with those six dudes. To me, here's the difference between like that Smitty group and the and what we saw last year. You know, you had the group with Jerry Judy and and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith. They got to come along kind of at their own pace. Like I don't think it was as much of a necessity, mostly because the offense hadn't seen that caliber of receiver. Right? It was more so you would see it run through one receiver. You know, a Calvin Ridley, a Amari Cooper, Julio Jones. 
But other than those guys, you never had two or three or four dominant pass catchers all in the same wide receiver room. And so when they were freshmen, the offense was more expecting that, right? And I think that what that allowed is you had like Robert Foster and you had Kim Sims and you had Calvin Ridley and you were able to kind of make them your starting receivers. You had the dominant number one in Calvin Ridley, but then you were also able to work those other guys in in situations that they were comfortable. You didn't rely on them quite as much as Alabama kind of needed to rely on this group from last year. And so I think that they were put in a, in a better position to be successful early. I think that's one key difference. Uh, I also want to bring up the fact that with a guy like John Mechie, throughout his entire career at Alabama, I mean, you think back when he was a freshman, you think, you know, sophomore, junior, he always had a dominant, at least one dominant number one receiver ahead of him, right? He always got to work in the number two role. And he completely thrived in that number two role as a, you know, in his final season with Jamison Williams being the number one. He also had, you know, when Jalen Waddle went down the year before in 2020, you had Devontae Smith put up a Heisman Trophy caliber season. And so to me, you know, if Burton wouldn't have had as much pressure on him, if he would have had a dominant number one ahead of him, he could have put up a much more productive season. I'm not saying he would have been John Mechie. I'm not saying that he would have put up those numbers, but I think he would have been better than maybe we saw with him trying to be forced to be into that number one role. A guy like Malik Benson, I understand he's a Juco guy. I understand he's just arriving. It's putting a lot on his plate early, but I think there's the potential for a number one. And I think a lot of people agree. You agree? I would say most people agree. And if he can become that, that shifts everyone down. Like now you have that guy that's going to command all that attention, especially with Malik Benson being a vertical threat, like Nick Saban talked about. I think he can win at all three levels of the field. But the fact that he brings that vertical ability, Alabama was hoping to get that out of Tyler Harrell last year. And for him to play that primary role as the deep threat, that ended up not happening. And all year, I think Alabama was trying to find that guy who could be that. And I think Jermaine Burton, much in the same way that you saw with John Mechie, he can win vertically, but you got to have chemistry with the quarterback. you got to be on the same page. But you also can get open more consistently downfield when you're not the primary deep threat, which that's something that John Mechie never had to worry about with Jamison Williams in the offense. So I think that it was a, a big disappointment to everybody that Harold was never able to become that guy. Malik Benson certainly has that ability, and you have a lot of other players who are now a year older, a year more mature, and Isaiah Bond and Kobe Prentice and guys like that who I think can win vertically as well. So I think the offense is in much better shape than it was last year. That's exactly right. More options. Uh, more. It's, they're a year older. These guys all played ones. Look, five of these six guys played with the first team a year ago. This is a really experienced group, which is great. And you're like, yeah, but are they talented? Well, I think Bond's good, and I think Prentice is good, and I think Burton and Brooks are going to get shots at the NFL. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a first-round pick to be a good player. I mean, you know, they're they're good players. I think Benson can be special. I think Bond, over time, can be special. I think Prentice could be a special player. But, uh, no, this is a good group. I think a bigger question, obviously, we're going to get to the quarterbacks, is, you know, last year we had the best – passing quarterback in the country most likely and Bryce Young getting them the ball probably a step back these wide receivers we need to ask even more of them they got to help the quarterback out get open present yourself as a big target don't 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 expect the ball in your bread basket catch anything near you you know that's that's I'm sort of tough on receivers when I watch games Clint uh, I say this all the time but and my, my wife gets upset with me she thinks I'm, I'm kind of hard on that group but but like I tell them I like look there's a lot of guys that are enrolled at Alabama that are students that can catch a football that hits them right in the chest. <laughs> don't, don't, 
But there are very few guys enrolled at Alabama who are regular students that can run the 40 in less than 4-7, lay out and catch a football with one hand. And the scholarship receivers at Alabama go to school here for free and get out NIL money because they can do things like that. Uh, you're not impressing me when you catch a, a perfectly thrown ball that hits you right in the numbers. That That's a lot of people can do that. But make the spectacular play. Make a Catch a ball. Make somebody miss. Make something happen. Prove to the world that you're an elite athlete. Not somebody can just catch a football that's perfectly thrown in the right place at the right time. Well, and one thing that I'll say, there's a flip side to what you said. You don't have the quarterback in Bryce Young who has the accuracy and the consistency to get it to you accurately that you had when he was you know, leading your offense. On the flip side of that, if Alabama achieves what we think they want to achieve and they're able to run the football more consistently, that's one of the number one ways. Not only are you helping your quarterback out when you can effectively run play action, you're also helping your receivers. Because, you know, a safety that's going to be able to provide help over the top, he's got to hesitate just a split second to figure out, okay, it's not run, it's pass. And that can give your guy an opportunity to get that step vertically and get downfield and create a big catch. You look back to Alabama's offense in 2021, it was a little bit different because you had a hammer at running back in Brian Robinson Jr. who had close to 300 carries. Were they a dominant run team? No. But I think that just with his power and the fact that you had to bring it, you know, come downhill and bring it pretty much every time he got the football as a defensive player, that opened up more opportunities off the play action. And Jamison Williams was able to get deep and exploit that. I mean, pretty much you could, with Jamo, he was different. Um, I mean, you could know that it was a deep play coming pretty much all the way and sell out for it. And he'd still find a way to get behind you. It was pretty incredible. But I do think that some of these, you know, guys will have a much better time of being, you know, everybody talks about how much the receivers struggled to create separation last year. And I think part of that, there were a lot of factors that went into it. I think, you know, the the scheme and the the play design certainly factored in. I think youth and they weren't running routes confidently and, and they just weren't confident what they were doing that was making them play a step slow. But I think it was the fact that defenses were able to kind of sell out for the pass because they knew in a lot of situations that that's exactly what Alabama was going to be doing. So I do think that they'll be helped out on that front. And then when you factor in all the other stuff, having the number one, having guys that are a year older, you know, having, you know, this this offensive scheme where you can exploit matchups and stuff more with Tommy Reese, I think that it's the perfect combination for this position group to take a big step forward. Uh, you know, exactly what you said. And, and this is uh, this isn't a criticism of Bill O'Brien, actually. It's just what you do when you have a quarterback as talented as Bryce Young. But I also think having Bryce Young made Alabama sort of simplistic to defend because there were some things you didn't have to worry so much about. Look, in the last two years, to beat Alabama, did you have to stack the box with run defenders? No, no, that would be a really bad idea. Secondly, with Alabama's offensive line issues – did you have to blitz to get pressure on the quarterback? No, no. You could rush. You could rush your four good SEC pass rushers, your four, and you're going to get to the quarterback to some extent. So really, when you played Alabama, the smart thing to do was don't over-defend the run. Don't blitz too often because Bryce, Bryce, Bryce will burn you. What you can do is just drop. You could drop seven guys. We were easy to defend that way. And when, the, when you're playing against a team that's dropped, seven guys into coverage, it's sort of hard to get open. The field doesn't expand for Alabama. It's the same size for everybody. And when they've got seven pass defenders dropped into coverage, and by the way, sometimes we saw eight drop into coverage against Alabama, 
it's hard for anyone to get open, even the NFL players. Um, so I think we saw a lot of that. Here's one more thing that made us easy to defend. Bryce was a great athlete, but we also knew he wasn't going to run the ball. That that made you more comfortable not worrying about the run and more comfortable in dropping, even if you left the short middle sort of open because you knew Bryce wasn't going to six, seven, and eight yard you to death with his legs. He would just never do that, never. He was going to throw it. So I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying, hey, Alabama built it around Bryce like any smart coach would have. But we sort of made ourselves easy to defend a little bit. I, I think we're going to be more difficult to defend because we're making a recommitment to being physical running the football. And we'll have a quarterback, whether it's Ty or Jalen, we'll have a quarterback that will six, seven, and eight yard you to death if that's what you're giving us. Uh, so I think we're going to be more multiple, tougher to defend. And, and again, back to the wide receiver point, as you said so expertly and so true, what we do this year is going to help the receivers. What we did last year did not. Right. And with Bryce, you know, I think there was some as good as he was as a player. I'm not going to sit here and say that the height didn't affect him at all. Well, you know, when he was in the pocket, I think he did a great job of being able to find the passing lanes, figuring out a way to, to be able to still use his vision. He has a sixth sense in the pocket. He was able to elude pressure and buy time when he needed to. Uh, but I think that it was pretty effective when teams would decide to spy him and they would almost hide their own spy behind Alabama's offensive line and then their defensive line. You know, LSU did a great job of that. You would notice that Harold Perkins or whoever the spy was, they'd take a couple of steps forward and kind of be sitting in that spy spot, but they would crouch down because they didn't want Bryce to be able to see them because whichever way he chose to escape, immediately they're taken off, have great closing speed, and now he's got immediate pressure in his face after he chooses to buy time and create time, you know, outside of the pocket. And so, you know, that's something as good as Bryce Young was at improvising and, and kind of, you know, thriving in chaos, which I've talked about a lot. You know, I do think that sometimes when you have, when you get lucky as far as like the, the talent that you have at quarterback and the things that it can mask, I think with Bill O'Brien, he had Bryce Young at his disposal and the fact that he didn't have to be overly creative in order to be successful because what he, whatever he lacked as far as his play designs and things like that, Bryce Young can mask a lot of that. And but there were some teams that would burn Alabama as a result. And and it cost them at critical points in certain football games. And I think that that ended up being, you know, fairly important to how Alabama's season played out as a whole. Let's talk a little bit about the tight ends, because it's a new group. I wouldn't say it's a new group. A lot of the guys are coming back, but Cameron Latou played north of 90% of the snaps last year. He's gone off to the NFL. And Robbie Utes, who was the, I guess became the tight end too last year, along with Kendall Randolph. He's been banged up and limited throughout the spring. So you're getting to see a lot of new faces that we didn't see a ton of last year. What do you think about that group? Yeah, uh, it, you know, there's no Brock Bowers. If you tuned in going, hey, tell us about the the tight end Alabama's got that can match what Georgia's got, then you're just going to be disappointed. Go ahead and turn turn to another, turn to one of the true crime podcasts. You're disappointed in this. Uh, but what Alabama can do is mix and match really well based on situation. Uh, I love C.J. Dupree. I think this was a very smart signing. Hey, let me tell you something that might disappoint people. They're going to hear this and go, why did Alabama take that guy? But I'm going to explain why. But let me tell you something that might shock some people that don't know. C.J. Dupree was not Maryland's number one tight end last season. We didn't, we didn't go get Maryland's all-star tight end. They had a second tight end that caught more balls and played more snaps than Dupree did. Okay? But 
here's what Dupree was. He was their Y, and they threw a ball a lot to their H. CJ left in part because he felt like he was being underutilized. Hey, I'm better than this. Uh, I'm better than a number two tight end, and I think I can catch balls. And, and I think that's why he got in the portal. And then who's interested in him after watching his tape? Ohio State, Alabama. I mean, he's a really good, almost hidden player, but Alabama didn't go out and get the ACC's upcoming first team all ACC tight end. He's, he's not that at all. He He's more of almost like Latu, a uh, utility player. And by that, I mean, he's a block first tight end. That's who he is and what he is. But it's exactly what Alabama needs. But why he's sneaky good is because why he's a block first tight end and he'll lull you to sleep with eight or nine great blocks in a row. So then you forget to cover him. He'll burn you. He'll burn you. He'll catch a ball. He'll, he'll make a play at tight end when the defense doesn't expect it. But Alabama signed him to come in and block and be almost the face of, hey, we're changing what we're doing on offense a little bit. And I always said this, uh, Clint, you know, the, the easiest way to tell what an offense is is ask what the tight end does. You don't have to look up in the media guide, oh, are they a spread? Are they a power? Do they line up? You know, how do they line up? I mean, how do you just, is it a spread option offense? Just ask, do you have a tight end and what does he do? And if C.J. Dupree is Alabama's tight end that plays the most snaps, and I believe he will, he's a block first guy. So what does that tell you what Alabama wants to do on offense this year? Okay. Now, uh, I think Dupree's going to play the most snaps. I think that uh, here's a little inside. Some people like, like some scoop. Here's some scoop. A, a, a tight end further down the depth chart that I understand has been impressive this spring is Danny Lewis. Uh, I, I think Danny Lewis, I, I, I wasn't going to say this before the spring because I wasn't sure, but I'll say it now. I, I think Danny Lewis is going to play uh, some significant snaps with the first team. I think he's made significant strides, and I sort of peg Danny as kind of the second Y behind C.J. Dupree. Uh, but I think at H, the other tight end spot, we'll see Oost a lot because he's such a good blocker outside the line of scrimmage. I think he's a good outside blocker. So we're going to see Oost when it's time to, to block for screens and, 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 and run outside run plays. Uh, and then I think we're going to see quite a bit of Amari in the black uh, when we want to get a little creative and uh, use the tight end position, Y or H, more as, as a pass catching spot. Uh, we can we can use the black for that. So I said a lot of words to say this. I, I love the group. There's not one single individual I will tell you is going to be a great pro. Uh, I, I'm not behind the idea that Alabama has a day one pick, you know, anywhere on this in this tight end room. But what I love is, hey, you want to run the ball and get physical? Let, let's put Dupree at Y and Oost at H. Oh, you want to throw it to the tight end? Dupree can catch it. And the black is a elite pass catching tight end that you can line up and move all over the place. So I like how we can mix and match based on what we want, based on the opponent, based on down and distance. But uh, it's going to be done by committee, not not just one Brock Bowers type guy. We just don't have that. Well, here, here's what I like about the tight end room right now, and, and especially what you were talking about, Danny Lewis, and, and that's one guy in particular. I think that C.J. Dupree is going to be some variation or some version of Cameron Latou in the sense that he can play both the move tight end and your inline guy as well. And when he's your inline guy, 
Utes has kind of proven that he can be a good move tight end. He's, he doesn't look like your typical move tight end. Like he's not like this smaller, more athletic, going to be a more of a predominant, like, you know, pass catching tight end. He's a good blocker in space. He's a good blocker out on the perimeter. He can provide some reliability uh, as far as his hands are concerned. He's never going to be a target hog or, or receive a ton of volume, or at least I don't think that he's going to, but I think he handles that role pretty well. But it's not that you would move C.J. Dupree to kind of, you know, you flex him out and you have Oots as your your inline guy. That's certainly possible. Um, it's just I don't think Oots was a great inline option last year. Like, he was okay, and he could certainly show improvement. He should be able to, given his size and, and just his overall skill set. You would think that he would. But what Danny Lewis kind of brings to the table is kind of what Kendall Randolph did, but he provides more of a pass-catching option when he's actually out there. If he is a dominant runner, I mean, 6'5", 255, very physical blocker, has a lot of the blocking traits that you like. If he can kind of play that Kendall Randolph role, maybe you see more of Oots. He becomes kind of the tight end too, even though Randolph played more snaps overall. Instead of having the big blocking tight end as your tight end too, he now becomes the number three. And then if it's, you know, if you're lining up CJ Dupree in line, you're using Oots, maybe Amari Black. And then if you're splitting him out wide and flexing him, and whether it be a perimeter receiver or as a big slot, you can kind of slide Danny Lewis in there as your inline tight end and still get production out of that spot as well when you're going two tight end sets. And it allows you to be very flexible and fluid uh, as far as your formations and things like that. If you want to get heavier, you know, I don't think you're you're getting the the Robbie Utes or excuse me, the Kendall Randolph blocking ability to at least some degree, but you're also getting a lot more of a threat as far as being a pass catcher. And that's another weapon that the opposing defense has to take into account. Uh, as far as Amari in the black, though, you know, what are your thoughts on him? This is a former five-star recruit. Uh, everybody thought that, you know, he, he had a good shot of participating early or, or getting involved in the rotation early. We saw him a little bit, but it was for less than 50 snaps. Right now, we know that he's getting some run with the first team, at least in certain situations. Uh, we know that he's the, the coaching staff has liked how he's been developing, but we don't necessarily know that he's there yet. What are your thoughts on Amari in the black? I'm excited about, you know, I'm sure he's a year better. I'm sure he's a year bigger, stronger, which is really what you need. I think the thing with him, it's a little boring. It's not the right answer, but and let's say he plays 30 snaps in a game, which would be a lot. That would be, you know, he'll play 50 all last year. Let's say he plays 30 snaps in a game. I would say if those 30 snaps, Clint, 15 are, are going to be, you know, pass plays where he's got to run around, try to get open or block for uh, another receiver who caught the ball. But the other 15 are probably going to be runs. The point is, he's got to be a good blocker or or there's just not going to be a role for him. There's just no such thing as a tight end you only play when you want to throw the football. So I think with him, it's going to be a little bit still of a project under development in terms of him proving to be a really good blocker. But I, I do believe that whenever in the black is able to play a volume of snaps and Alabama uh, wants to feature that, that particular position. I think he can be great. Uh, I think that his hands are as advertised and his athleticism is as advertised, but tight ends are sort of made. They don't show up. And, and I still think we're trying to make Amari Neblack into an SEC tight end. I, I don't anticipate him being a big part of things, but compared to last year, I anticipate him being a bigger part of things. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, you know, I, I kind of, part of me wondered, hey, why don't, you, why don't you just use him like Florida used Kyle Pitts, right? 
it kind of felt like that Florida used Kyle Pitts predominantly as a pass catcher, you know, split him out wide, made him a big slot, made him a perimeter receiver. And then I went and looked at the the splits, and I was kind of shocked to find out that Kyle Pitts spent over 60% of his time in line and roughly about 35 to 40% of his time uh, split out wide, uh, whether that be out wide or as a big slot. That was the kind of almost identical splits to what Amari and the Black saw this past season, where it's it's about 60 to 65% in line, 35 to 40%, you know, split. And and it, that felt like a lot as far as, you know, lining him up in line. But then you compare that and you're like, okay, I mean, that's kind of the, the norm. Like Darren Waller, uh, this past season, he was banged up for the, the Las Vegas Raiders. And so I think that they played him or split him out wide a lot more to keep him from getting banged up more having to be a big burly blocking tight end or having to mix it up with defensive linemen and stuff. So the splits weren't the exact same, but he also fit in that kind of 60-40 split. Even though he's considered a leaner, he was a former receiver, uh, not overly big guy. So I do think that Alabama wants to get more out of Amari the Black when he is playing in line. And if you can do that to where you you can at least be a serviceable enough blocker where they kind of have to respect it a little bit, that makes you a much more lethal pass catcher you know, when you are lined up in line. And I think that his size, you know, just being 6'4", 233 pounds, uh, Alabama's lacking size at, at wide receiver. And, and that's great when you can add more size when you get into the red zone. Like that, that you add a threat for your quarterback. You add somebody who can go up and win 50-50 balls. I mean, Darnell Washington, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to touch that guy. But, you know, being 6'7", 6'8", 270 pounds, you get in the red zone. I mean, he just bullied Henry Toto on that touchdown. I think it was in the SEC championship last year. Uh, I think Georgia scored for first, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, he just went up and just manhandled Henry Toto. And you know, I mean, obviously he's got more size, he's got more length, and 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 all that than than a guy like uh, Amari the Black. But just having that style of player can certainly add a wrinkle to your red zone offense. And so I think that at the very least they need to figure out a way to get him involved on that front. And then if you got CJ Dupree, that's another big body, and and Ja'Cory Brooks has some size as well. But you also got some guys who can be effective scoring the football in the red zone who aren't big. You know, Jalen Waddle was a great red zone receiver, and he isn't big at all. So that it's not like it's it's a a must. But I think that it would really help Alabama's offense overall. Uh, we only got a few more minutes. So do you have any more closing statements? We still got about five. So you want to add something and talk about it a little bit? We still got a little bit of time. But is there anything else? I'm excited about C.J. Dupree uh, as being a puzzle piece more than oh, he's going to be awesome. This is going to be one of the best standouts on the team. I think he will be a standout, but I think he's mostly going to be a standout as a blocker. I like the the comparison to Cam Latu. I just think that, you know, if if I think Latu was – put it this way, I think Latu's probably a better pass receiver than C.J. Dupree, uh, but Dupree's a better blocker than Latu. Now, Latu's a pretty decent blocker, just like Dupree's a pretty decent receiver, you know, that's that to me is why they're similar. I, I I would just give Dupree a higher grade as a blocker and Latu a higher grade as a pass receiver, but they're they're sort of roughly similar guys, and I think we will be just as good or better at tight end than we were before. It's just that, and since we're going to have this commitment to the run game, a physical tight end who's really good at blocking the edge is exactly what we need at this time. And then the black is the fun guy. He's he's the he's the hey, you know, I think we can really burn teams. Remember how OJ Howard had sort of a quiet season 
and then was the MVP of the national championship game, I think Nablack is probably on a similar path in his career in the sense that I don't know if we're ever going to see Nablack put up giant numbers, but I bet Nablack has a few giant games in his time at Alabama. Probably not this season. We'll probably get a glimpse of it to where we're like, man, in 2024, I think Nablack's going to be a dude. Uh, but that, that's just kind of how I see his career going. Yeah, Nablack's still uh, one of my favorite players. You know, I just think that maybe the the mental side of of playing the position it's going to take a little bit more time than maybe even I had anticipated, but I think that they're in pretty good shape. All right. That's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bama on three show. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. We will talk again soon. Fun stuff. Uh, love uh, the spring practice still going on. And Hey, when spring practice is over, Clint and I are still going to be here talking about it. Absolutely, man. Looking forward to it. All right. Once again, this is the Bama on three show and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.